Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I am your host, Misty Little, and I am excited to be kicking off season three of this podcast. There were some moments this summer where I kind of wasn't sure where this podcast was going to go, if I want to continue, um, and really tried to think hard on what I wanted to do with this season. But I realized that I really do like talking about gardening, learning about gardening, talking to other gardeners. Um, so it's it's going forward. <laughs> we're going on. We're going to do another season of this uh, podcast. And one of the reasons I kind of got upset and down in the dumps about it a few times was thinking too much about getting sponsored content or doing Patreon, which is, you know, if you listen to podcasts enough, that's kind of what podcasts are going to right now to get some support monetarily um, to keep the podcast going, which totally understandable. Putting a podcast together is a lot of work. But it actually caused me quite a bit of anxiety, and I realized, hey, if something is doing that to you, maybe you don't really need to be doing that. So we're just going to keep this podcast free to everybody. There's not going to be any sponsored content or Patreon behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, It's just going to be me um, a couple times a month or my guests a couple times a month for the next six months or so for another season. But what you can do to support this podcast is rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you listen to if that podcatcher has a rate and review uh, option. And unfortunately, that is kind of one of the biggest ways for podcasts to be recognized and known and shared with other people. So if you rate and review then maybe it's going to pop up on the recommendations below another gardening podcast or another simple living podcast. My podcast is going to show up there. Hopefully that's my goal. I want to reach more people, um, more listeners, get more gardeners, get more people who are just thinking about gardening, interested in gardening more, and maybe that podcast can help them out. So you can help me by doing that. Also, you can drop me an email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear from listeners um, to know what episodes you've really liked. Maybe you want to share your own gardening story. Um, Maybe you want to reach out to me because you've got some plants you want me to try. That's kind of something that I would be totally okay with doing a little collaboration, a little review about um, plants or a gardening book. Maybe you are publishing a book and you want to be on the podcast and you want to send me the book totally something I'm interested in. So gardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can find me. Um, you can also, you can find the podcast if you're a new listener at thegardenpathpodcast.com, where also you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a couple different places you'll see it pop up there that you can just pop your email in and confirm it and voila, you'll be getting my newsletter. I send it out about once a month. It's really just pretty brief. It's talking about whatever I've done in the garden or if I've been doing anything preservation-wise in the kitchen and um, any other garden readings I've uh, I've found over the last few weeks. And um, another thing you can do is follow me on Instagram. I am at the Garden Path Podcast. I kind of found Instagram to be one of my favorite social media platforms right now. Um, back in the day it was Flickr when Flickr was the main photo sharing place. And that's still a pretty popular, still pretty popular, not nearly as much as, uh, Instagram, but, um, 
I have gotten to know a lot of great gardeners around, especially in Houston and Texas, um, which is kind of hard to find when you, not a lot of people blogging these days. <laughs> They're all on Instagram. So you can find me there. And if you want, you can find me on my blog um, where I write most of my gardening stuff and hiking adventures and camping and just random day-to-day stuff sometimes at oceanicwilderness.com. So that's where you can find me. So if you're new to this podcast, you might want to dip into episode 1-1, where I kind of give an introduction of who I am, where I garden. But if you're new this season, this is your very first episode, I'll give you a little bit of introduction. So as I said, I'm Misty, and I garden in zone 9A, uh, just outside of Houston, Texas. And so we live on about 1.2 acres, and we have a pond frontage we share with several other houses. It's pretty small. They call it a lake. It's really a pond in my head. (laughs) Um, But our habitat in this area, we're kind of on the edge of the piney woods. Um, You go about 10 miles west of here, you start getting into more prairie and post oaks and uh, maybe a little bit of eastern red cedar, that kind of habitat. So we're definitely in a transition zone. Or if you go south about 10 miles, 15 miles, you start getting to the Gulf Coast Plain, you know, Houston, go further, Katy Prairie then you end up in the Gulf of Mexico. So that gives you kind of an idea of where I'm located. And we like native plants and tropical plants, and we also have an edible garden. And, you know, a lot of our yard is pretty much just left of it to its own devices. Um, but yeah, you can listen to episode 1-1. <clears throat> gives you a little bit more background on on my gardening So, to kick off this season, I thought I would do a show with about gardening resources. Some you may know, some you may not know, um, and some of them, you know, they may not be applicable to your garden or your gardening style at the moment, but, you know, maybe it'll give you some tips or hints or brainstorm uh, ideas for you, um, and it's definitely not a be-all, end-all. Um, I definitely will say it's more region-specific to places I've gardened. That would be Florida and Texas, but... Um, so if I mention something, you probably have something in your locale that would be suitable, similar, similar thing that would work for you. So, but before, before I get into that, I do want to do a kind of PSA about plant identification, safety, and foraging. So foraging, if you've been paying attention, is kind of trendy right now. You know, the whole wild crafting your food and herbs, um, and you see pretty much everybody, well, I didn't see everybody, but quite a bit of people trying to learn more about plants and maybe go out and pick some dandelion greens or elderberries, something like that. Well, I'm also seeing people <laughs> misidentifying plants and uh, it's not, not happening a lot. And maybe I'm just obviously not seeing everybody's profile here, but I did see somebody a few months ago, um, post a photo of a plant from their yard and this person wasn't trying to eat it or anything but what the problem was about three or four people in the feed all said it was purslane so I'm like no that's not purslane I went back up scrolled back up 
like, well, I can see where they're getting it. Kind of got that creeping, crawling habit looking thing. But I just could not, I did not feel like that three-dimensional succulent look of the leaves. You know, my, my initial thought was that this was sand mat or um, kamasi. Uh, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but, you know, euphorbias, those things you see in your yard, in your, like, driveway or more crappier areas, <laughs> the, the abandoned lots, that kind of thing. Well, um, I kind of thought better of it for a while. I was like, oh, I'm not going to correct these people. But then I was like, it just kind of bugged me because you, those euphorbias have that milky sap, which is poisonous. And if you get it in your eye, it can be bad. And so I went back and forth. I was like, okay, I'm going to mention it. I don't think this is personally, you know, three or four people said it was, eh, I really don't agree with this. I didn't want somebody saying it was purslane and this person eating it and, you know, something bad happening. You know, I would hope this person would have done their due diligence, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So finally I piped in. I said, hey, I think is this. Break it apart. If there's milky sap, it's this. Please don't eat it. And sure enough, a couple minutes, 10 minutes later, they said, oh, yes, there is milky sap. I was like, yes, do not eat this. Um, I guess my word of warning is please don't rely on social media and people identifying plants correctly. You know, I can't always identify plants correctly, even on a, you know, a little square that I see on social media on my phone. You can't zoom in. You know, I had a hunch. I happen to know about those plants already. And, um, I'm definitely not going to always know plants from everybody's locale, um, or specialized plants for certain habitats. And obviously everybody, not, not a lot of people, people are also versed in plant identification either. So if you aren't sure about a plant, please just put a caveat that, Hey, this looks like this, but it might not be, please look into it. Um, you know, obviously we hope people have their brains, they're going to use it. They're going to type in Google and, and, and look around, but, um, I don't think you can always trust that. Um, the, the Root Simple guys, uh, guys and gals, <laughs> they posted a YouTube video a few months ago in one of their link roundups uh, of a YouTuber who was, you know, showing that they were going to eat aloe. Well, what they had was an agave and they ate it and they ended up having to go to the emergency room because the agave was toxic and they had some problems. So it's not just this one thing. It's, it's a lot of people trying to jump on board of this foraging eat wild plants thing, just please, you guys know what you're, what, know what you're eating and what parts are good and just do a little more research. So that'd be my PSA for today. Okay. Onward to the helpful tools for gardeners. So the next few are going to be more for people who might be wanting to market garden or need bigger spaces. Um, but that also could be helpful for the regular home gardener, if you kind of want to get an idea of the natural history of what your house might have been. So maybe you live in a subdivision in the middle of Des Moines. I don't know. Um, but once upon a time, that was prairie, right? Um, you can also look at a tool called the Web Soil Survey. And the things, all the resources I mentioned will be on uh, the Garden Path podcast uh, website. So you can look at the show notes for those links for this episode. And, uh, so the web soil survey is put out by the NRCS and it's a really handy dandy tool that you can go online, zoom into your property and find out what soils 
uh, were there. So you'll be able to map out the soils, click on the component, and it'll tell you, like, okay, it's composed of this much sand or this much clay. Um, you can tell if it is good for... Um, they have little components for farming and gardening and um, building, um, and how much, how bad of good of drainage it has, if it holds water. Um, there's a whole bunch of different components to those soils. Now, if you're in suburbia or if you're in an area that has been modified at all, that has had sand, had soils or anything brought in to kind of create that base for your house it's not going to be accurate. Um, but at least give you an idea of maybe what was there. So that's a good way to kind of help if you're planning. So if my yard, it works great because I have 1.2 acres. The area that has been modified is small compared to my acreage. You know, I'd get a good idea. Um, and people with larger acreages would have a lot more of a better idea. So another, another tip would be the wetlands mapper. <laughs> Again, this is from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and um, this will tell you what kinds of wetlands you may find in your property. Now, they, a lot of them were digitized from topo maps from like the 50s and 60s, and over time they've slowly been using aerial imagery to kind of update that, make them a little more accurate. So definitely if you've had any modifications to wetlands or you know that they've modified wetlands in your area... Sometimes they're not quite accurate. So there's definitely been, you know, streams that have been changed or channelized. And so you'll have a, might have, <laughs> there's a wetland in your yard, but in reality it's been moved because it's been channelized and, um, for flood control or for some other reason, which is, you know, all this stuff is common when you have, uh, cities turning into suburbs and creeping further out. So you're going to definitely have wetlands that were there. 30 years ago, or even five years ago, they're not there anymore. But kind of give you an idea of your, um, the wetlands in your area. So maybe if you want to use that wetland to your advantage, or you know that, hey, I'm going to be able to plant here. You're buying five acres and there's a giant pond that has fringe wetland around it. You know, planning, planning, it's definitely a planning purpose for you. All right, some plant resources. Now, one that I use pretty frequently in my job, um, is the USDA Plants Database, and you could definitely use it for as a gardener as well. And the Plants Database, you can search by state and common scientific name. And the good thing is that you can find out if it's a wetland species or if it's endangered or threatened, native or invasive, and this shows a range map. So the range map, you can zoom in to your region. So you zoom in until, say, Texas, and you zoom in, you'll, the counties will finally show up. And Usually, I think it's green right now. We'll say but it'll be green, saying what if it is known to occur in that area. Now, not all plants have been vouchered in all counties. I've definitely found plants in counties that don't show up on this map. It's just that nobody has vouchered them. Nobody's submitted them to the USDA, and they've never, you know, and it takes time to get things updated. Now, if you have a more rare specimen, something that's, you know, more important that they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you haven't found it, that's probably going to show up <laughs> onto that sooner. But, um, but it's definitely helpful in seeing like, okay, it may be a native plant, but is it native to South Texas or native to East Texas? Um, kind of give you an idea of where that plant naturally occurs. And it also tells you if it's introduced or, so you may have a native plant that is native to California, but 
just hypothetical here. It's native to California, but it's become invasive out east. And it usually will tell you that kind of information as well. And something else is that it'll also, um, synonyms for the names, you know, plant names, taxonomic names change as they've been reclassified. Um, scientists, you know, as they learn more, do genetic work, that kind of thing, they will change plant names eventually. And, um, so I'm still trying to learn my, get my head wrapped around a few plants that have changed names in the last 10 years. And, you know, sometimes I like those old names. So I definitely like the USDA plants database. Oh, two things I actually really found out recently from that, because um, I had, you know, two plants that I commonly see on garden blogs and just posting are common milkweed and Joe pieweed. Like, everybody's raving about them. Well, I was like, oh, I'm going to just put them in for the heck of it, see what they, what comes up. Well, <laughs> they're not native to Texas. That's why I never see them here. I'm, and I kind of thought, like, why don't see these they're not in garden garden centers people don't put them in their garden well joe pie weed is definitely a midwestern eastern plant and i think one pops up in one county in louisiana comes a little start getting more counties in mississippi and alabama there's a couple counties in north florida but um it is it's it's not native here that's and people rave and rave about it i just i've never been able to find this and same with common milkweed and, um, it is definitely not the most popular milkweed. Like people talk about it being so common, it's common milkweed in other parts of the country. And it is definitely not, it doesn't even exist in the state except for in the panhandle, but there's one County in the panhandle. And who knows if that's even like an actual, like habitat, um, population, if it was you know something that blew out from a garden or, or what, but I actually did see the Texas Parks and Wildlife, their main botanist has a kind of a PSA out of, Hey, if you see common milkweed, we want to know about it. Um, so it's a, it's a plant on their, their concern list. So I actually, actually want to look into that a little bit more. Um, we have other prevalent milkweeds in Texas, the green antelope horn. Those are two, one of the probably more common ones you see on the roadsides. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, another plant uh, database would be the Wildflower Center, the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center plant database. And it is pretty good because it has photos. Usually they're, sometimes they're older digital photos, so not nearly as clear as what would be uh, with today's cameras, but definitely helpful in picking out the different types. You can search by um, family, I believe. So if you kind of have an idea that it's a Fabaceae, but you're not sure what it is, you can click that and start just going down the list, clicking each plant and seeing um, what it might be. It's just fun, too, to go through and look sometimes and see what's around and beef up your plant knowledge. Another one is the Mississippi Botanic Garden. I'm sorry, Missouri Botanic Garden. Um, their plant finder database is also pretty helpful as well. Um more focused for Florida would be the uh, Institute for Regional Conservation. Definitely more for South Florida, but you could also use it for uh, other regions in Florida too. Uh, but they've got a floristic inventory of the Keys in South Florida, section for natives for your neighborhood. Um, if you've been in South Florida long enough, you know that it is a web of invasive species <laughs> and non-natives, which, you know, some non-natives are not invasive. That is very true. But a lot of the natural areas of South Florida, there are a lot of invasive species. So 
just um, a product of being in a tropical area and not having um, any kind of checks and balances down there. It's kind of crazy. But that's a really cool site. Another spot for Florida is floridata.com. And um, I use it a lot when I was in Florida for gardening. Um, it's kind of an old school website, but it's still very helpful. It has plant, um, I guess, profiles for um, for gardeners in Florida. I did see a plants for the northeastern U.S. would be um, thysmia.com. And I only poked on there once, but there's just a resource, like I said, I was trying to be a little diverse, but I don't use some of these websites constantly. So like I said, I'm going to give you the re- ideas. There's definitely going to be places for you to find um, resources for your region there. Another cool place is the Biota of North America program, the North American Vascular Florida uh, Bone App. It is a really cool site that kind of maps out, again, plant species across um, across the U.S. kind of tells you where they show up. Um, I just It's kind of cool. I like looking at maps. That's a cool place. And in Texas, uh, the TexasInvasives.org. Um, Texas also has a lot of invasive species, too. So, And this site handles... Um, animals as well. So you'll be talking about zebra mussels or anything else um, that might show up uh, here in Texas too. All right. So one of the other resources would be to contact your local extension agency. Um, And those are usually at universities, uh, land-grant universities, and um, usually those extension uh, agencies are at the more agricultural college in your state. So in my state, it's Texas A&M. In Florida, I believe it is the University of Florida in Gainesville. And so um, that's where you're going to find the extension, USDA extension outreach for people's a lot of things like master gardeners go through that. If you need to find um, resources for p- particular um, pests and crops, um, that is where I find a lot of the information. Now, you're going to have to be kind of careful if you're an organic or like permaculture, more natural gardener. There's going to be a lot of references to pesticides or non-organic practices. But if you need to know about a particular pest or crop or even just how to grow something, that is where you're going to find a lot of guides, um, even timing um, resources too, like when you should plant uh, certain crops in your state. So um, I'll post resources for the two, a couple extension agencies that I've used in the past. And even, hey, you know, maybe I can use something from Georgia because it has valuable information about black-eyed peas or a southern crop that you're not going to see at an extension agency in the Midwest or the North, um, but you are want to test out, you may want to find the information from a Southern extension agency and vice versa. So something that grows better in the North, but you're growing it in the South, you might want to look elsewhere to kind of get that information on how to grow it. Um, those are also places you can check out. And also if you haven't visited the USDA plant hardiness zone to find out your gardening zone, uh, that would be one way to start if you're, especially if you're a new gardener, 
Um, they've recently updated uh, the zones in the last, I don't know, five to seven years, I believe. Um, so, like, my zone here in Houston used to be 8B, and um, with the re- re-update, I'm now 9A. So, a lot of zones changed. Some didn't. If they were wider, they probably didn't have nearly as much uh, uh, zone change there. But um, definitely some place to start if you are a new gardener. Um, know what zone you're in. That way you can get a good idea of what plants are going to grow in your area. Um, other things that you might want to think outside the box would be native plant societies or local gardening societies, garden clubs. Um, maybe you're interested in orchids, join an orchid club. There's bromeliad societies and, um, cactus societies, succulent societies, um, all sorts of different groups and niches and places for you to, uh, learn and grow. And I mean, these places have swaps a lot of the times, even if they don't have swaps that are like club sanctioned where they're raising funding, um, people between each other will host swaps. So definitely look out at these places. Um, that would be one way to know, (laughs) to know more about gardening in your area and get to know other people too, because they may have tried something that you hadn't thought of or vice versa. So I would reach out to those people as well. Um, the rest of my resources are going to be kind of focused on um, broadening your horizons beyond gardening because I think knowing your natural ecosystem around you also helps you garden better. So it helps you know your weeds and know the birds and know the bugs and everything that is interacting in your garden. So pick up some field guides. Um, there's going to be tons of them for your area. Some might be more specific for a region. So like maybe a wetland book that's for the Southeast United States, um, or you've got your, a tree book for the Northeast United States. Um, but that's fine. It'll help you at least ID a genus or a certain plant group and get you down to being able to figure something out. So field guides are definitely very handy. Um, in addition, one website I really like for IDing like caterpillars and butterflies is discoverlife.org. Um, they have a pretty good key for trying to narrow down caterpillars. And I've used a caterpillar one time and time again. I do have a caterpillar, uh, book now, and I'll put the that on the uh, podcast show notes too, that is really helpful as well. But the key um, has come in handy many times when I haven't actually been able to find <laughs> that caterpillar in the book because maybe NSTAR wasn't photographed or some such uh, thing. Um, so I'll put the links to the actual keys for the Discover Life caterpillars and butterflies, but I've used those quite often. Um, and then, you know, getting to know your natural world uh, in addition to um, these things, would be just go out to hike at um, nature preserves or parks around you. Even if you don't know what you're looking at, take pictures. If you see pretty things in bloom, even if things aren't blooming, just take a look at the grasses or the shrubs. Um, kind of just get to know the ecosystems and how things grow. Um, I think, especially if you're interested in native plants, that's definitely a way to learn what grows well in your area, what habitats they occupy, and if you can either recreate that in your garden or maybe you have a larger property where you might have some of those habitats, how you can um, maybe you need to spruce up those areas, do a little bit of maybe there's some invasive species taken over and you're going to restore that area. Um, 
going out for hikes, getting to know your natural area is definitely something that you should should be doing as to broaden your horizons as a gardener. I'm also going to include, include some links to some people on Flickr. Um, I mentioned earlier about Flickr being the old Instagram. Well, people still use it, and a lot of naturalists that I follow still use it. Um, some of them are plant people. Some post really cool bugs and birds and things like that. So I'm going to put those in the show notes as well. And lastly, I do want to mention like your local radio shows. There are um, going to be some for whatever town you're in. Um, some of them just, you know, depending on what kind of style you're, of gardener you are, you may not want to heed all of their advice because sometimes they tote and tout uh, chemicals. Um, I had to like brace myself the day when a caller called in to my local guy and was asking about spiders on her tomatoes and she wanted to get rid of them. And he was just like, just get some mouth eye on. And I was like, ah, no. Um, so (laughs) you have to kind of take some things with a grain of salt, depending on what type of gardener you are. Now, some, some of the news, the guys are People love their grass and lawns and they will, they're there to help all sorts of gardeners, people who like their lawns and people who like their plants. So you listen some weekends, listen one hour, just, um, it is knowledge. It is helpful knowledge, especially for where you are in Texas. My favorite is John Dromgul, um, in Austin. He's a natural gardener. He's on KLBJ and I like to pop in and listen to his, shows. They used to be podcasts on iTunes, but they're not there anymore. So you have to go to his website and listen from the website, uh, the KLBG website. Um, but yeah, he's a natural gardener guy. He has, if you ever go to Austin, his nursery is fantastic. Um, so in Texas, I like that guy, (laughs) but there are definitely others around the state. And of course there's podcasts too. So there are lots of resources for gardeners out there. And for whether you're beginning or that you're, you know, you've been gardening 20, 30 years, I, I think there's just way too much to know about gardening. I see something I want to know more about and then I get distracted and I know I want to go learn something else about this other thing. You know, I will, there's definitely things I prefer to focus on, other things that I don't necessarily care so much about. Um, I think that's what this like with all gardeners and as with life, we can't do everything, so we do do the best that we can for what our gardens are. If you have any other resources that you'd like to share with anybody else um, that I obviously haven't mentioned, I'm, and like I said, this was not be all end all, um, please feel free to tell me what they are uh, by email, thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com, or um, drop a comment in the show notes for this episode, which is thegardenpathpodcast.com slash three one um for this episode and thank you guys all for listening and don't forget to rate and review on itunes and can't wait to enjoy the rest of the season with you guys happy gardening